my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Uh, my name is Will, pastor here in Adelaide, South Australia, and I want to thank you for joining our live show today. We are so excited to introduce the new theme for this week here on Dry Time, Prophecy and the Rise of the Antichrist. Prophecy and the Rise of the Antichrist. So that's our theme for the whole week. But today, uh, my co-host and I, we're going to be looking at the question, what is a prophetic beast? And so um, if this is something that you're interested in, we've been taking quite a journey looking at Bible prophecy in the last couple of weeks here on Faith FM Drive Time. So we're adding another uh, element uh, to this discussion. And so today, what is a prophetic beast? And so please, we want you to stay for the duration of our program because we want to unpack that as it pertains to uh, the Bible and prophecy. And so I just want to introduce my uh, special guest, my co-host in the studio with me here today, Pastor Brenton Wilkinson. G'day, Brenton. Thanks. Uh, nice to be on, uh, Will. Um, looking forward to this topic. I think we will have some things to share with everyone who's listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, um, And for those who um, know Pastor Brenton, he's... Um, a regular here on our part of our drive time team, and I was just having a conversation with you off off air, uh, Brenton. You, you're telling me you're re- a retired minister, but by your schedule, it doesn't sound like you're retired. <laughs> uh, it's spelled R E T Y R E D. So you were just preaching uh, just this weekend uh, over I at our was last prospect. weekend. I'm preaching again next weekend and the weekend after. Um, I will have preached for five consecutive weeks. So um, I think keeping I'm, you busy. I'm filling in my retirement pretty well, <laughs> plus doing some visitation and uh, some other things. Oh. <laughs> my wife keeps me busy in the garden, or tries to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so, well, always love to have you in the studio, um, oh, Brenton. Look, it's great to be here. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to unpack this. Um, our topic today in just a few moments what is a prophetic beast but as we always like to do at the top of our show um we like to jump into a bit of a world watch segment where we share something that's kind of relevant something that's online something we're reading and um just like to share that with our listeners uh today and so brennan the article i want to share with our listeners and and for us to kind of have a quick look at interesting one interesting article and um i couldn't help but uh think about some of the implications of what this could mean if it kind of made its way across the shores here to Australia. So here we go. The title of the article, and this is off the Guardian.com um, website, and it's uh, the article is entitled, it was just published today actually, on, uh, and the, the article is entitled, Iran's Morality Police Resumed Patrols 10 Months After Nationwide Protests. Now, Brendan, I might just read maybe just a couple of paragraphs um, and then uh, have a bit of a discussion on it. So Please do, because the uh, ramifications of that are yeah. pretty serious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so here we go. It says here, Iranian authorities have announced a new campaign to force women to wear the Islamic headscarf as, quote-unquote, morality police. That's mm-hmm. what I really want to unpack with yeah. you, Brendan. Morality police, and so. Yeah. It says here they returned to the streets, these morality police officers, to the streets 10 months after the death of a woman in their custody, which sparked nationwide protests. Yes, it the did. morality police had largely pulled back after the death of a 22-year-old, Masa Amini, last September, mm-hmm. as authorities struggled to contain mass protests calling for the overthrow of the 
theocracy that has ruled Iran for four, over four decades. The protests largely died down early this year after a heavy crackdown in which more than 500 protesters were killed and nearly 20,000 detained. Many women continue to flout the official dress code, especially in the capital, Tehran, and other cities. Now, I'll just read just a bit more, yes. Brendan. Yeah. It says, after the protests, the morality police, police were only rarely seen patrolling the streets, and in December there were even some reports later denied that they had been disbanded. Authorities insisted throughout the crisis that the rules had not changed. Iran's clerical rulers view the hijab as a key pillar of the Islamic revolution that brought them to power and consider more casual dress a sign of Western decadence. Western decadence, yes. Yeah. Um, I'll just read just a bit more. It says, on Sunday, Jen Sayed Montazira Lamadi, I think it says, a police spokeswoman, um, said the morality police would resume notifying and then detaining women not wearing a hijab in public. In Tehran, men and women of the morality police could be seen patrolling the streets in Mark Vans. Now, look, there's a bit more there, uh, Brenton, yeah, in the sure, article, but sure. but what do you think about this idea of these the morality police and these, you know, these people walking around Tehran and, um, you know, looking at well, the women what, what, and whether uh, they're covered appropriately, uh, etc.? What powers do they have? It seems as though their powers are fairly extensive. They can actually arrest you, yeah, and you can find yourself in jail, yeah, uh, for um, flouting their morality laws. I just wonder if we tried that one in Adelaide. How do you reckon yeah. that would work? Well, that's why I wanted to bring it up because <laughs> the morality police in Adelaide, <laughs> and, and that's kind of, I guess, where I kind of draw the, um, I guess, uh, the less you know, the implications mm. is. Yeah. You know, here we are in, in the Middle East, obviously, within the, in an Islamic country, and they've got people, you know, walking around enforcing um, specific religious, um, you know, you know how they were to dress and, and sure, so forth. Sure, So, you know, we always like to introduce, Brenton, at the top of our show, that we like to look at uh, world religious trends in the light of prophecy. prophecy. Yeah, and I couldn't yeah, help, exactly. Brendan, mm-hmm. I think you and I are already going there, the connection between this idea of um, coercion, this, mm. this idea of, mm. of being forced, well, in this particular article, it's about yeah. these morality police enforcing um, how these women were to dress. And I couldn't help but think, Brenton, that that's what the book of Revelation essentially boils down to. Uh, Revelation 13, of course, from verse 11 yep. to 18, uh, tells us that that's what's going to happen at the end of time. Let me just share <clears throat> something with you quickly on that. I think I may have mentioned this on air before. If I haven't, during my time as I was a minister here in Adelaide at one of our metropolitan churches, I met an Iranian family. Now, uh, oh, okay. Musad, I think, was the father. I'm trying to think what the daughter's name was, but... The wife contacted me and said, are you the minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? And would it be possible for us to use your church hall for my daughter's 21st birthday? And I said, yes. And I said, um, the main rules would be, we didn't send them a list of rules. We simply said, make sure you keep the place clean and tidy. Right. No no alcohol, which she found interesting, I think. (laughs) And uh, anyway... They had their 21st birthday party. I didn't attend, of course, but 
Uh, sometime later, we had a progressive tea. I don't know whether you've done a progressive tea at your churches, but we, progressive yeah. tea is a good fun. Yeah, really I fun. like progressive yep. teas. One of the places we went to was um, a young lady and uh, her family who were, were members of my church, and these folk came along to right. our uh, uh, We okay. invited them. So they, they came, yeah. Now, this is, this is interesting. Here's a, here's a group of Shia Muslims coming to a Christian, um, what do we call um, it? Social progressive event. Tea. Yeah, progressive tea. They came to the first one and they came to the second one and then they said that um, they that was enough for tonight. But in conversation with the husband in our church hall where the second round of the uh, progressive tea was to be held, I said to him, Musad, I said, I'd just like to ask you a question. I said, it's something that I'm curious about. I said, as a good practicing Muslim, I said, let me run something past you. Uh, let me ask you a question. In the, uh, the Muslim mind or the Islamic mind, how is Western Christianity viewed? Let me give you a couple of thoughts wow. and you tell <laughs> me whether I'm close to the mark or way off the mark. Yep. I said, do you think that <clears throat> most Christians eat pork? Um, they worship on the first day of the week and, and they look at pornography on the internet. And he said, that's exactly what we do think. And wow. looked at me as if to know, how do you know? Goodness. And I said, well, I'm here to tell you that that's not true of all Christians. Just the same as yep. I don't believe all Muslims are running around with bombs waiting to blow people up. Yeah. Um, so what I'm concerned about is the principle here. Yeah. The, the principle of enforcing something suggests that we as the government or we as the religion are right and we're going to make you comply. We have an example of that. We touched on it last um, week, you might remember, yep. Daniel chapter 3. Yeah, correct. There's a certain guy called Nebuchadnezzar who made a golden image and said, if you don't bow down to it, we'll throw you into the brick kiln. Yep. And uh, we know the end result of all of that. So this is troubling because what it will lead to is it'll lead to a significant number of young women probably being put in prison or arrested possibly tortured, and who knows how, how far all of this goes. Um, we in Australia, we wouldn't expect to be uh, assaulted that way. Yeah. Uh, however, we believe that prophecy tells us that the time is coming where there will be some worldwide yeah. bans and those who don't comply with them will be met with fairly strict uh, yep. Penalties. That's right. Mm. And I, I just wanted to. That's probably all I want to say yeah. on it. But just the look on his face when I said, "Are they <laughs> the things that you think Western Christians wow. do?" He said, "Yes." <laughs> I said, "Well, I'm here to tell you, as an Adventist minister, not everybody sees things that yeah. way." Yeah. In fact, I said there are many very fine Christians around the world and in Australia who don't carry on that yeah. way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Brendan. And um, I guess, uh, I guess, just alluding to what you were saying as well about the connections to the Bible, uh, that was the immediate, I guess, uh, connecting point that I found as I was I was reading the article was just about how you know the Book of Revelation, chapter thirteen, chapter fourteen, yes. talks about yeah. this um, this beast, which we are going to touch on in general terms about. Fairly, um, what is a prophetic beast today, yes. but um, yep. you see it there in the book of Revelation you see stories in the book of Daniel and um, we don't know what tomorrow holds um, we live 
in a beautiful country, the best country on the earth, Australia. And um, we don't have those restrictions as such uh, at this current time. But just to be mindful of that's essentially where where it's headed. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about, as you know, Brendan, you know, those who suffer, those who live godly will suffer persecution. We see the New Testament church and how they were persecuted, etc. So um, just something to keep in the back of our minds as Christians is that um, that the relative freedom that we experience is is uh it's a blessing but then also there are other parts of the world where people and not just um we shared this article about an islamic uh, state you know in tehran but you know there are christians across the world as we all understand that have been um persecuted and dare i say even losing their lives over their their faith um I i'm thinking re- of parts of africa I'm yeah, thinking i in, did read recently yep. there are um Oh, I was staggered at the figure. It was something like um, 30 Christians a day are losing wow. their lives around the world, yep. either being executed or martyred or, or whatever. I thought that was a staggering figure. It listed the countries that um, suffer the greatest persecution if you are a Christian. I'm not going to name them on air. Yeah. People can look that up for themselves. Right. But um, certainly there many of the countries are countries you would expect yeah. this sort of repression. But can I say this? Go ahead. <laughs> Scripture actually states, and uh, you and I know, and uh, many of our listeners know if they've studied the book of Revelation, that during the Dark Ages, the so-called Christian church tortured yeah. people. And yep. uh, burnt them at the stake and did all sorts of right. things, used the rack and um, public burnings in the marketplace yep. square and all this type of thing. It is not unique to one religion. Yeah. This intolerance towards people who see things differently from the way you see it is um, we can be thankful that even today in Australia we still have religious freedom. I know yeah. people carry on about how we're losing it and all the rest, but by and large, you and I can go to church on Saturday, we can go to church on Sunday, yeah. we can go to church on Friday, or we can not go to church at all, Correct. which is what the average Australian does. Yeah, And uh, no one is going to come knocking on your door and saying, come with me to yeah. the police station. Praise God for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Well. True. um well, just uh, just an uh, article there for our World Watch that we wanted to um, just share with you, our, our listeners, and um, just to, especially if you're living in Australia, you know, we should be counting our blessings that we are we, should we are lucky to live in this country where we're not coerced in how we are to worship. Hey, we're going to turn our attention to our free book offer um, at this good one, time of the hour. So um, in line with our theme talking about um, prof- prophecy and this idea about um, the beast and, you know, all this stuff as it pertains to prophecy, um, the book that we'd like to um, offer to you, our listener, is called The Antichrist Identified by author, presenter, Pastor Steve, Steve Wahlberg. Stephen Wahlberg. Mm. And so... What this essential book is about, it basically, um, according to Steve here, he, um, before I'm asking the identity of the Antichrist, um, what Steve does here in this book, he carefully lays the groundwork by discussing the meaning of the term Antichrist and then points to the necessity and importance of studying the Bible for ourselves before he artfully launches into the various biblical factors that identify the first beast of Revelation chapter 13. And so, hey, if you want to get a free copy of this book and you're interested in prophecy and particularly the things we're going to be discussing today and for the rest of the week, please, why don't you um, grab your phone and text the code SA127 to our number in the studio, 
0811. One more time, the book is entitled The Antichrist Identified by author Stephen Wahlberg. Um, if you'd like a free copy, please text SA127 to 0488880811 and we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. And so please don't go away. We've got a music in just a few moments and then we'll be right back and we'll be launching into our topic today. Well, just in a, a redonda before sure. we go to the music. Go ahead. Steve Wellberg is a very, very good author. I would thoroughly encourage our okay, listeners yeah. to get him. He's a very engaging author the way he writes. Yep. And he really stretches your thinking. Yeah. I guarantee that any listener who's listening to this program today and is thinking, should I get the book or shouldn't I get the book, you won't regret yeah. Yeah. getting the book yeah. because it, it's very worthwhile. And he presents Bible prophecy and the understanding of Bible prophecy in a very simple yeah. way, and he backs it up with a lot of facts. He's, yeah. he's a very, very good yeah. writer. I've got some yeah, of his books. Yeah, I can vouch as well. He's an yep. excellent he's presenter. A good writer. And plus, it's free as well to you, our listeners, please. It's so free. text the code again, SA127 to 0488880811. Please don't go away. We'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? Did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head Someone such as I At the cross, at the cross Where I first saw
back. Listen to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A. It's Will here in the studio with my colleague, uh, Brenton Wilkinson. If you're just joining us, we're about to unpack our theme for this week, which is what is a prophetic beast? And um, actually, the overriding theme for the whole week, actually, is prophecy and the rise of the Antichrist. But Brendan and I, we're going to be looking at this uh, this topic, what is a prophetic beast? And so, um, Brenton, um, I know that you're very um, experienced when it comes to um, unpacking these things from the Bible. I know that um, it is a bit, I guess, on the heavier side when we're talking about prophecy, but we're... The purpose today is not really to go super deep. We, we just want to introduce the sure. topic mm. of uh, a prophetic beast. So why don't you um, go ahead and take the lead. Um, what do we learn about these idea of beasts and um, how, how do we make sense of it um, as we read the Bible? Mm. Well, let me uh, set the tone for having a look at, because um, today we're only going to be looking at three beasts, as you know, from Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. Uh, Daniel 7 according to verse 1, says that during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. And he wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. Now, we have on air in the past discussed Daniel chapter 2. Last week we discussed Daniel chapter 3. What many people may not be aware is that between Daniel 2 and Daniel 3, there is probably an interval of about 50 years, five, zero. So Daniel's gone from being a 20-year-old to in Daniel chapter 7, he's about three score and ten. So it's it's quite a bit of a gap. It's it's quite a gap. In Daniel chapter 2, when you look at the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, and remember Nebuchadnezzar is a heathen king, the image is made of what? Metal. But in Daniel chapter 7, the beasts represent the same thing as what the metals did in Daniel chapter 2. You might ask, why the difference? I believe there is a reason for the difference. In Daniel 2, the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the interpretation of it given by Daniel uh, relates to, the, to political kingdoms. We had Babylon. We had Medo-Persia, we had Greece, we had Rome, then we had the Ten Kingdoms, then we had the Big Rock, remember, that came along and smashed the whole image, and that's the second coming of Jesus when his kingdom comes along and destroys all earthly kingdoms and reigns forever. Now, God's people don't really get a mention in Daniel chapter 2. It's all about what God was doing, I believe, in Daniel 2 was this. He was trying to show Nebuchadnezzar that you are the head of gold, but after you there's going to come another kingdom. After that there's going to come another kingdom. After that there's going to come another kingdom until we get down to the the feet of iron and clay or the toes of iron and clay. And then the rock comes along, Christ's second coming. I believe what uh, God was trying to show Nebuchadnezzar is that you have a part to play in my great plan for the future of this world. But in Daniel chapter 7... From there on, when you're dealing with Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9 and the other chapters that deal with prophecy in the book of Daniel, you are dealing with the powers and their relationship to God's people. Daniel 2, it's purely political. Daniel 7, it's different. How do I know that? 
because if I was to take the time to go on, it talks about how one of the powers that we aren't going to touch on, that will be touched on later in the week, right. what effect that has upon God's people. So <clears throat> this is why I believe metals were used in Daniel 2 and beasts were used in Daniel 7. How do we know that beasts represent kingdom? Well, that's, that's a pretty solid um, question. So let me read the answer in verse 17. So Daniel chapter 7, right? Yeah, we're yep. in Daniel 7. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. That's what it says. Now, we're only going to look at the first three. So let's let's have a look at them. So can I just say, say, Brendan, so we pretty much answered the question already. What is a prophetic beast? That's the title. That's kingdom. the question. It's a so beast is a kingdom. kingdom. Yeah. So a prophetic beast, for our listeners, um, especially in the books of Daniel and Revelation, it's talking about a, a kingdom Yes. Or, or a power. Yes. Or, okay. yes, it is. So if you were talking to somebody who didn't know anything about prophecy and you were trying to explain yeah. it to them, we use metal to indicate political powers and their place in world history. Okay. Not powers necessarily that affect God's people. But in Daniel chapter 7 onwards, you're dealing with how those powers represent how they affect God's people. Are they good powers? Are they bad powers? Right. Are they persecuting powers? Or are they powers that support you okay. in what you're doing? <laughs> so in um, Daniel 7, we these powers come up, all these beasts come up out of the sea. We know that in prophecy, sea represents people. Right. So we don't have to go through all of that. But the, let me just share a little bit about the... During the time before we go to our next break, maybe we'll have a look at the first and second one. Maybe we'll have a look at the third one Sounds after good. that, if that's okay with yeah. you. The first one, it says, was like a lion with eagle's wings. Now, why would I think that a lion represents Babylon? Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Go online, have a look at any motif of the Ishtar Gate that yep. was the ancient Babylonian gate. Right. Have a look at any of the um, paintings and things of ancient Babylon. You'll find lions mentioned on them. Okay. And in some cases, lions with wings. A lion represents the king of beasts. Now, remember, way back before Nebuchadnezzar's dead at this stage, this is Belshazzar, the very last king of the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire, we would say, Will, is on the, on the slide. Right. This is the last king. Medo-Persia is starting to come to the fore now. And... Uh, the decadence of ancient Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Uh, um, Nabonidus, who was actually the reigning king, had gone to Arabia and handed over the kingship to a guy called Belshazzar, who was his son. So it says here in the first year of Belshazzar's reign, Daniel had this vision. So Daniel's an old man. Well, He's, well, he's, prob about, he's probably yeah, no longer in the public service. <laughs> I worked in the public service at one stage before I went into ministry. So um, how do we know that? Because if you go back to Daniel chapter 5, when um, Belshazzar calls him in to interpret the writing on the wall, he says, are you that, Belshazzar, are you that Daniel? Right. Who was one of the captives from Judah that... Uh, my father Nebuchadnezzar brought over. In other words, that would suggest to me that he, he, sure, he probably doesn't know everybody, but it's pretty wise to assume, I think, that he did not hold any political position at okay. this stage, Daniel. So the first king, or the first beast, is a lion. We've already said that a lion represents Babylon. Eagle's wings 
represent the speed with which Nebuchadnezzar okay. conquered, conquered. Now, in 605 BC, there was a big battle at a place called Carchemish uh, between two powers that were jostling for the supremacy at that stage. The power of Assyria that had um, afflicted God's people was on the decline. And the remnants of that joined together with the Egyptians and they fought the Babylonians at a place called Carchemish. Now, Nebuchadnezzar defeated them soundly there. He basically wiped them out. They were no longer a threat. Pharaoh Necho II went back to his country and um, Nebuchadnezzar became the predominant power or the predominant king, the predominant ruler in that part of the world. Wings of eagles represent speed, ferocity, because the Babylonians were very cruel people. Remember, we talked last week about throwing people into a burning, fiery furnace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, this is the type of people that they were, even though they were actually very well educated for the, the time that they were living in. Um, it says that I watched till the wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being and it was given a human mind. The suggestion in that text, simply put for our listeners, is that a lion without eagle's wings can't move as rapidly as it used to. I think it's talking about because it's in the first year of Belshazzar's reign, in another 13 or 14 years, the Babylonian Empire is over. It's on the slide, and it's no longer able to go out and conquer as it did in the past. So I believe the plucking of its wings simply represents its inability to move as quickly to conquer and to do things. In fact, it probably can't conquer anymore. Right. It's struggling to hold on it to what it's got. It's lost a bit of its got. power. It's yeah. lost a lot of its yeah. power. Is this making sense? Yeah. <clears throat> so that's, that's what you've got, and it was given a human mind. Now, the human mind, various commentators have speculated on that, but basically it's talking about an empire that was very strong, and is now getting weaker and weaker and soon to be superseded by another beast, okay, <laughs> so to speak. <clears throat> so why use beasts? Well, you know what? One of the interesting things I discovered is that um, nations like to use animals to symbolise the way they see themselves. Now... Nebuchadnezzar had lions on a lot of things, okay. suggesting that, well, you know the lion is the king of the beasts. And so Nebuchadnezzar saw himself as, you know, numero uno. Yep. And um, so then you come to the next uh, beast that we're going to look at, and then the third beast. They all represent certain things, but they tend to be the way the country or the political How they perceive power, them. it sees yeah. itself. I get you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, so that's that's just um So the first beast in summary that you're you're reading from here, um, Brenton, the Daniel sees a beast well, the first beast which is the reason why we say first but there's actually four when you read the whole there chapter. Are four, but and the, the first one is yeah. The first one is a lion. Yes. And we're saying that when you compare that with 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 history, it's talking about the Babylonian kingdom. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so what we're doing now is we're um, we've established the idea that the that a beast, a prophetic beast, is a is a kingdom. It's, it's a power. A and so now what we're doing is we're kind of unpacking 
I guess, um, three of them that's found in yes. Daniel 7. Yep. And we want to, um, I know our presenters tomorrow, Marty and Gary, are going to unpack that that fourth beast, which is a um, very interesting one. But we'll leave that for our presenters tomorrow. So, so we got we got the lion. Um, what's the next beast that comes upon the scene okay. in Daniel chapter seven? Before we get to that, let me say one thing. Remember, we're looking at Daniel seven and Daniel eight. The beasts in Daniel seven are all cruel animals. You have a okay, lion, lion that kills things, yep. eats things. You have a bear. Same thing. Right. And the third one is a leopard, which we'll get to during our, okay. our uh, broadcast today. In Daniel 8, you have different animals. All the animals in Daniel 8 are sacrificial animals. Right. You've moved from animals who are cruel and um, we would describe them as destroying animals to sacrificial animals. Why? Because Daniel seven and eight deal with the issues of the sanctuary. Okay, so there's Therefore, a you using there's sanctuary, a very sanctuary terminology because from Daniel seven onwards and Daniel eight, you are now starting to talk talk about how do these uh, powers interact with God's people? What effect are they having on yeah. God's people as far as worship goes? And all those sorts of things. So it sounds like it's very intentional when oh, the I Bible. So. Um, I believe it's quite doesn't just pick any. Mm-hmm. Any animal willy nearly out of the. It's no. very intentional in, in what. Because you made a good point, Brent. It's not only the, the animal that um, the country wanted as it sorts itself as, but in some way, God, God was actually using the animals to describe, I guess, certain characteristics about them. Yes, I believe so. So I think there's a bit of. Um, there's a duality there where maybe it's a self imposed. Um, picture of themselves but then you know god kind of you know he almost gives it it's gives it freedom to express itself that way because yes. because god yep. could see the end from the beginning so yep. he yep. he he knows this is what this power is so he's basically trying to explain to us who this power actually is i i think that's a good point i think the other point that needs to be made that though of course and we'll touch on it later in the week is how do these powers impact god's people right and remember, Daniel's an old man now, or shall we say elderly, and uh, God wants him to understand how these powers affect God's people, not only now, but in the future. Yeah. And so that's the situation. You asked about the second beast. All right, okay. let's look at it. The second beast, it says, looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. In other words, the suggestion is that uh, this power, whatever it was or whoever it is, um, was destroying three kingdoms. Who was the second beast? Again, we find that the second beast is mentioned by a different term in Daniel chapter 8, but still talking about, um, at this time it's using the um, analogy of a ram with two horns. And one horn was bigger than the other horn. And if you read Daniel chapter 8, and I would encourage our listeners, if they haven't done a lot of study in the book of Daniel, read it. The Bible interprets itself. Yep. It tells you in Daniel chapter 8 that it represents the two kings, or the kings of Media and Persia. The Medes were the ones who rose first, but the Persians were the one who became predominant. Okay. That's why the bear is raised up on one side. Tilted on one side. Yep. One side is higher or more prominent than the other side. <coughs> It destroyed three kingdoms. The three kingdoms it destroyed was Babylon, um, it was Egypt, and it was Lydia. Right. So, 
again, you can see um, that that's what it says. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. In other words, it was a, a power that was a ruthless power. If you study anything about Medo-Persia, you'll remember there was a death decree for God's people during the time of yeah. the Medes and Persians. A, a woman by the name of Esther. You might remember yep. the story you of remember Esther. The story, yep. what, what happened there? There was a date set where they're going to wipe the Jews out. Right. This was during the time of the Medo-Persian Empire okay. under a guy called Ahasuerus or Xerxes, <coughs> as we know him. So here you've got a second power that, let's put it this way, the area that Babylon occupied was greatly expanded under Medo-Persia. In fact, if you look at a map of what area these um, powers occupied and conquered, Medo-Persia's is almost twice the size of Babylon's, and even when you come to the third one, it's not a great deal bigger right. than uh, the second one, other than that Greece is involved in it, uh, because we know the Medo-Persians tried to conquer Greece on several occasions and weren't successful. Okay. But there again. Um, so, so, this is the, so what you're saying is, Brenton, the second beast now, which is this bear that's depicted yes. as a bear in, in Daniel 7, you're saying it's... No, it it's, is a bear in Daniel, uh, it's a bear in Daniel 7. Sep- it's yeah. a ram in Daniel 8. A ram in Daniel 8. Yeah. So the, be- the, the bear in Daniel 7 is the kingdom of the Medes, Medes and, and the Persians. Persians. So yeah. a coalition. Yes. Okay. That's, that's, that's basically the situation. In Daniel 8, it, it says, And I looked and I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. Okay, remember this is all in vision. And Daniel 8, incidentally, guys, is two years or three years after he received the vision of Daniel 7. So Daniel is now probably 73, 74 years of age. And so he's receiving this particular vision. One of the horns, it says, was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. The ram butted everywhere, everything out of its way, to the west, to the north, and to the south. And no one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased and became very great. Now, what's missing from Daniel 8 that was present in Daniel 7? The kingdom of Babylon. The kingdom of Babylon's nearly finished. Right. It's got about 11 years to go. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) Okay. Then Medo-Persia comes onto the scene. I believe when God showed Daniel this vision... It was for the purpose of saying, forget about me, uh, Babylon, they're finished. Yeah. We start with what's happening, going to happen in the very near future, and we move our prophetic timetable, we move our prophetic camera from there down to the end of yeah. time. I want to just say one more thing as well, Brendan, because for our listeners out there, um, if they're getting a little bit confused maybe and because we're kind of getting in some deep Topics we're, we're kind of talking about Daniel two, we're talking about Daniel seven, and then there's elements of Daniel eight. Um, one thing I just want to let our listeners know that um, as well, Brendan, and I think you've mentioned this as well, is that these prophecies, particularly Daniel, they're all they're all um, explaining to some degree the same story. Yes, so they are. so there's a very clear. I guess, connection between Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, you know, the, yeah. the metal image Instead and of the metals, beast. it's beasts. Yeah. And and so, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to let our listeners, um, if, who they're, if they're just listening for the first time and they're just <laughs> maybe a bit overwhelmed by all this, um, the reality is is that God actually um, 
is communicating the, to this in various ways so that we could all get the story. Very, very much like um, in the New Testament when um, you've got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're all saying the same same account of the same person, Jesus. When, so when you're reading prophecy, and, and I just want a bit of a tip for our listeners out there as well, sometimes you'll see elements in a certain chapter or verse of Revelation and you see it repeated in an earlier yes, chapter. Yes, you do. And so you... You kind it's of come the across principle the principle of repetition. Principle of there you go. That's yeah. a simple way of explaining it. Principle of repetition, repetition. which I, I think is very important to understand. Yeah. Otherwise, you're like, hang on, I'm reading about these beasts in Daniel two, and then now there's the other beasts in Daniel seven, and there's other beasts in eight, and then so it can probably get a bit overwhelming. But but we're talking today that when you see beasts, we're looking at a kingdom. You are, and just to give we're just one giving example. a bit more extra to kind of break yep. down who these beasts are, particularly in Daniel seven. Just an example before we go to our break. Remember, yep. it started in Daniel eight. It says that um, it was in the third year of his reign. Um, Daniel had a vision. He was in Susa, which was the winter capital of the Medo Persians. Whether he was there in body or whether he was there in vision, we're not sure. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Talks about the ram. Now, if a listener listening today, Will, grabs a yeah. Bible and reads this and goes, what the heck is this about? Right. What's it talking about? Go over to verse 19. We find in verse 18 that Gabriel, the angel who took Lucifer's place yeah. in heaven, who stands alongside the throne, was sent by God, get down there and tell him what the vision means. And so he does. He goes down and says, I am here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Medo and Persia. There you are. Okay. What does it represent? Represents the kings of Medo and Persia. Perfect. I'm the glad Bible, that you... Bible, Bible explains the Bible. Amen to that. Hey, um, we're going to have to go to a quick break, um, Brendan, but before we do, we're going to plug our free book offer just one more time. The title of the book is The Antichrist Identified uh, by Steve, Steve Wahlberg. Actually, in the little blurb I've got here, Brendan, he says here that the same beast, this Antichrist beast that is pictured in Revelation 13, is actually active in today's age, and it's making history. So... Um, you want to learn about Bible prophecy, you're interested in this, this discussion, you have to get this book because it will just, Pastor Steve will unpack some of these, well, particularly the Antichrist, which is where our discussion is going with our presenters absolutely. towards the end yeah. of the week. I so, would absolutely encourage our listeners to get this book. Yeah. If you don't bother to get any other book during this Get this week, book. Get this book. Yes. <laughs> so please, uh, to our listeners, please, if you'd like a free copy, the text, uh, co- the, the code is SA127. SA127. You need to text that code to 4 and we'll get that book out to you as soon as possible. Please don't go away. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A.
Give Me Jesus by Fernando Ortega. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Will and Brenton in the studio. We just have a few minutes to go here as uh, we finish off our show today uh, live from South Australia. If you just tuned in at the tail end, um, we just introduced our new theme for today and the rest of the week, Prophecy and the Rise of the Antichrist. But today, uh, Brendan and I have been looking at this subject of what is a prophetic beast? And uh, Brennan, you've been doing a wonderful job unpacking Daniel chapter 7 and showing us uh, the lion and the one bear. Go. we got one more to go on our show. So we, we got the lion, recap. Lion yep. represents the kingdom of Babylon. Yep. Beast is the kingdom of, oh, sorry, not beast, the bear, the bear is the bear. beast kingdom of uh, Medo-Persia. Persia. Now we come to the third one. got the last and final yep. one. It's mentioned in Daniel 7 and verse 6, and it says, Then the third of these strange beasts appeared. And it looked like a leopard. Now, I don't think there's too many leopards in the South Pacific where you no, come from, Will. not really. <laughs> the only ones you'll ever see here are probably up at Monato or the Adelaide Zoo. Yeah. So, and it looked like a, um, it had four birds' wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. When you go to Daniel chapter 8, by way of comparison, which I'm now right. going to do, uh, remember Daniel's in vision here. And in verse 3 it says, while I was watching, that's the vision of Daniel 8, which is separate to the vision of Daniel 7, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that it didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed towards the two-horned ram, which, remember, before the break we identified as what? Media and Persia. That I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew three prominent horns, pointing in the four directions of the earth. Okay, let's break it down. It's talking about the kingdom of Greece, represented in Daniel chapter 2 by the thighs of brass, represented in Daniel 7 by a leopard. A leopard is a fierce, rapacious animal. Yes. And a leopard with wings indicates extreme swiftness. Okay, anybody who wishes to do any research of their own will realise that Alexander the Great was the first king of this kingdom. He was actually a Macedonian, but... We call it the Grecian Empire. Now, he conquered all the then known world in less than a decade. Wow. Which fits in perfectly with the description of a leopard with four wings, indicating extreme swiftness. But then it says what happened? The leopard had four broken off into four heads or had four heads. And in the case of the horn in Daniel chapter 8, the big horn broke off. And four horns came up right. from it. It indicates that in 323 BC, Alexander the Great, who was living in Babylon at the time, uh-huh. died, died, we think, of either malaria or typhoid. Apparently, a lot of the places that he fought in were, um, he used to swim in the river Euphrates. 
the river Euphrates had a lot of mosquitoes in it. And anybody oh, okay. who has lived in an area of the world, and we have it even in Australia today, North Queensland and places yeah. that are tropical, malaria is a problem, yep. isn't it? If you get Anopheles mosquitoes bite you, you can end up with malaria. Correct. And uh, so what he died of, we're not sure, but quite possibly malaria. And it is said that on his deathbed, when his generals passed before them, and they said, who will take over after you? He said the kingdom goes to the strongest. Wow. So we had four generals who largely took over the Grecian Empire, Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and uh, Seleucus. Wow. They represented the various parts of the Grecian Empire. Gre- Grecian Empire, yep. <laughs> and they were subs- subs- um, subsequently... Uh, overtaken by the fourth kingdom. That's pretty fascinating. We talked about it uh, at another time, but yeah, yeah. here you've um, got this guy. Now, it is said that he actually died in Nebuchadnezzar's palace in three two three BC. He had plans of restoring Babylon to its former greatness. It had tended to fall into decay a fair bit since the time of Nebuchadnezzar two hundred and fifty years before. Okay. And uh, it was certainly only a shadow of its former self, and apparently he intended to restore it and make it the capital of his kingdom in that part wow. of the world. But instead of that, he died at the age of 32. D- died so young. He died young. Yeah. If only the good die young, well, he certainly died young. Yeah. I, I won't comment on the good bit, but <laughs> um, it, it, it's rather interesting. As you, as you study all of this, you realise now that the ram, big horn was broken off, four horns came up, Leopard, what did it have? Four wings. And then it says it had four heads. So the four heads is talking about what you're saying. Yeah, how it's talking about, about like those, four, Cassandra, those four generals. Yep. Ptolemy and Seleucus, the four generals who took over Alexander's empire. Alexander's empire at this stage stretched from Greece to um, India, the Indus, the wow. Indus River, which is basically a large river along with the Brahmaputra, which is on the other side of India. Um, the Indus River is on the boundary of modern-day India. That's how far he got. Wow. It is said that he wanted to keep going, but his soldiers said, enough, we've been away for 10 years, we're going home to see our wives and family. <laughs> we've had it. Wow. We're not going any further. That's it. Um, it is also said that he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. Wow. <laughs> and yet he died he at still the age wanted of 32, more. and the kingdom split. What is God saying in all of this? I think in wrapping this up, Will, we need to have a look at God's perspective. God is saying these kingdoms are temporary. I allowed yeah. them. I yeah. allowed them to operate for a period of time. Yeah. They all operate for a period of time, but it is a finite period of time. But when the big rock comes along that we saw in Daniel chapter Daniel, 2 the other yeah. week, how long does that last for? Yeah. Ever. Forever. Forever. Eternal. <laughs> now, I love the – because what you're saying is essentially that God actually – not only predicted, but he explained to certain detail yes, about the characteristics of these world kingdoms. So, so what you're basically saying in our show today, um, Brenton, you've really not only answered the question, which is what is a prophetic beast? We're saying it's a kingdom. You essentially went down one by one and from history proved and show how these who these beasts or these kingdoms were. So as we sum up again, Brenton, 
What are we saying on our show today? A prophetic beast is a kingdom. Yes. So it's not a literal animal that you're going to be looking for uh, at the zoo or other part of the world. It's a symbolic language talking about a a real power. So here we go. Um, The lion was represent the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon. Um, the, the kingdom of ba- the bear, Persia. Persia. The leopard represents Greece. Leopard represents Greece. When you go into Greece. chapter eight, they're represented by sacrificial animals. You got yep. a ram. You the got ram a is 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 yeah. the kingdom of Greece again. Yeah. 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 So, for our listeners out there, because we only got a couple of minutes to go, um, I hope that you've been able to enjoy um, our presentation today, particularly for Brenton. Thank you, Pastor Brendan, for leading my, our discussion my today. My and um, just to kind of um, give our, our listeners out there um, a bit of an idea of what's coming on the, the show in the days to come, um, tomorrow we've got Marty and Gary. They're going to be looking at the question, um, who is the dreadful beast? And so that is the fourth beast of Daniel 7. We didn't touch on that today because we know that uh, Marty and Gary are going to do a fantastic job looking at that. They're actually going to be um, spread over two presentations. So um, the dreadful beast, um, who is a dreadful beast? And the reason why we call it dreadful, not because we're trying to say, use our words. This is how the Bible actually describes this particular beast. Um, we've got Hugh and uh, Fabiano uh, pastors. They're going to be unpacking on Thursday about the dreadful beast and the rise of the Antichrist. And then on Friday, um, we've got the topic, Will Beasts Always Reign? And that's Nick and Charles right at the end of the week. And so please do your best to tune in. We've got the book offer each and every day. And um, and please, please please tune in, get your friends um, to tune in as well. Um, so that I think is up for us, uh, Brendan. Thank you for coming in uh, today, and uh, to our listeners, we thank you for tuning in. We thank you for those who've uh, called in for the book offer. We appreciate um, you tuning in and listening in today. We'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. And so, um, without further ado, we're going to close off our, our program today. We always like to leave with uh, a Bible promise, and we like to end it from the words of Jesus. And Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and 27, He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. May God richly bless you and we'll hope to see you next time.